Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this special bonus episode of Renoites. This was not a planned episode. The normal season ends in a couple weeks. I'm doing 10 episodes per season, but today, October 22nd, is the first day of early voting here in Nevada, and I have a special episode with one of the candidates for Secretary of State. Cisco Aguilar is running for Secretary of State. He is the Democratic candidate. And he was here in town for campaign events, and I wanted to share a conversation with him. I think that this is not an overly political show, but elections are very, very important. And I think there's some real risk if we put the wrong people into an office as important as Secretary of State. So it was great to talk to Cisco, learn a little bit about what the Secretary of State does and how the campaign is going, kind of priorities of the campaign and Also, some other issues unrelated to the Secretary of State campaign. Question three is on the ballot. That is for open primaries and ranked choice. We talked a little bit about that. And it was just great to be able to learn a little bit about the role and hopefully encourage all of our listeners. I'm assuming you're all planning on voting. But if you're not planning on voting or unsure to vote about, hopefully this will help steer you to the polls in the right direction. This is a bonus episode, so I'm not doing all my intro stuff. If you want to reach out with guest suggestions or ideas or feedback, just shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, and we'll jump right into the conversation with Cisco Aguilar. Cisco Aguilar, welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Connor. Appreciate it. Yeah, excited to talk to you. So you are running for Secretary of State of Nevada, which is a very important role for our state. But I think a lot of people, including myself, don't know fully what Secretary of State does. When I think of Secretary of State, at least the national level, I think of they're doing international diplomacy things. They're working on our relationships with other countries. Obviously, the Nevada Secretary of State is not doing you know, international diplomacy trips. The thing that I do know about Secretary of State, especially from the last couple of years, is that there's a pretty important role in certifying election results and how we run our elections. But I assume that's not the only thing that our Secretary of State is going to be doing. So can you just give listeners a little overview of what the Secretary of State of Nevada does? Sure. There are eight divisions within the Secretary of State office. The two most prominent are corporate filing, security filing. So every business that exists in Nevada has to file with the Secretary of State's office. They have to do an annual report for renewal. If there's a name change or there's an ownership change, they have to file those amendments with the Secretary of State. I'm an attorney, been doing those corporate filings at Agassi for the last decade. So sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's extremely complicated. My line is a small business owner shouldn't have to hire an attorney to deal with the Secretary of State's office. They should use that money, invest in their business and build their business that they're hiring their neighbors and members in the community. The other major responsibility of the Secretary of State is you are the chief elections officer which means you don't actually execute the elections. The 17 counties throughout Nevada execute, they implement, they do the counting. The Secretary of State acts as a regulator, a referee, Mm -hmm. in making sure that the counties are following the rule of law. They're following the regulations that exist. The Secretary of State can implement regulations. That's really where the power is for the Secretary of State. It's also enforcement, whether or not you determine whether or not you want to enforce a certain regulation or statute. You do the investigation, and then obviously the attorney general would do the prosecution. Gotcha. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of it is administering systems that are in place already and just kind of making sure things are operating correct, like they're supposed to. From the election side of that, you said that part of it's a regulatory thing over the counties and how they do their elections. What has the history of that been here in Nevada? I know our current secretary of state is termed out. Have we had issues where our secretary of state is 
directly interacting with the the counties around elections is that a new thing that is coming up as part of the conversation what's kind of the history there the secretary's always been engaged with the clerks in the counties and implementing elections because they need help interpreting the statute or they need help interpreting regulation or they need to know what the rules are about something they're gonna do and so the secretary is constantly engaged with the clerks i know that they speak regularly or if they need a sounding board the clerk will reach out to the secretary's office to ask a clarifying question or ask for guidance or direction. You know, 80% of the voters are in Clark. So there's a strong relationship between Washoe, Clark, and the secretary's office. Those states have the benefit of having resources to invest in elections. The other 15 counties are conducting elections just like the others, but sometimes resources are a challenge. So figuring out how do they meet the standard, but how do they also do they pay for it? And so that's the secretary's job is to figure all this out. For the benefit of voters in Nevada. It's not about whether or not you're a Democrat, Republican, nonpartisan. This is about ensuring that Nevadans as a whole have the opportunity to exercise their fundamental right to vote. Gotcha. I was going to ask about kind of the the partisanship. This seems like an office that should not be a partisan office, right? I, I am trying to understand what the partisan elements are of the Secretary of State office, because it seems like it's a fundamentally administrative, nonpartisan kind of role, but everything seems to be very you know, partisan and political now. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between the the Democrats' approach to the Secretary of State role versus the Republicans' approach to the Secretary of State role? Why is it such a partisan process? And why do we look to this party or that party for the Secretary of State when, you know, it feels like it should just be the best, you know, the best accountant or the best, you know, the best person at that type of work? Well, I think traditionally the office has really been nonpartisan. As a regulator, your job is to be neutral I think Dean Heller, Ross Miller, Barbara Sagaski have all done a great job of making sure the office is acting in the best interests of all Nevadans. Once you're elected to that position, it's not about being Democrat or Republican or nonpartisan. It's really about serving the interest of Nevada as a whole to make sure that voter confidence remains high. And if you're playing partisan politics, that voter confidence is going to struggle. I think Barbara Sagaski has done a phenomenal job this last election cycle to make sure people understood the process. They understood that it was secure, that it was transparent, and that it was open, and that she's continually working to make sure that process works. And that would be the same job I would have in responsibility. Yes, I'm a Democrat, but once I'm elected, it's my responsibility to serve all Nevadans. Mm -hmm. And certain individuals have made it partisan because they see it as an opportunity to divide and conquer. But the job of the Secretary of State is to remain strong and vigilant. Um, what drew you to that particular role? Like you said, you're a lawyer, but you know, there's a lot of different elected offices. So is there something about the secretary of state office that you think is particularly like interesting or appealing to you? Yeah, it's two sides. One is the nerdy attorney side of me that's done corporate filings saying, Hey, we could do better. You know, I always think about, yes, Andre Agassi and Stephanie Graff could pay me as an attorney to do that work for them. But you think about all the small businesses that exist throughout Reno and a lot of them are, you know, working hard to make sure they can meet their payroll. And having to work about how they're going to pay an attorney to deal with the Secretary of State's office is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so I want to figure out how we can be better. We can make it easier for these individuals. Also, you think about the entrepreneurs who are building this new business. What are the resources do they have to go pay 500 bucks to the Secretary of State's office to do their filing? Those are just the fees. And then you add on attorney fees for that. And it becomes $3,000. Whereas they could use $2,500 to invest in the marketing or whatever they need to do to build that business. And that's why I want to figure out. As somebody who has a startup company, every dollar is significant in building and developing that business. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it sounds like kind of the, the goal for you as Secretary of State is 
to keep the those businesses and those filings kind of easier and keeping those businesses in Correct. mind. Also, too, yeah. you know, in spending a significant amount of time up here talking with the folks at Edon, they have some wishes that they would like to see the Secretary of State's office do, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and tech startups, is right now there are some securities laws and regulations that exist that, yes, they work for an MGM or a Wynn or Eldorado, but don't necessarily work for a small entrepreneur who's out there raising startup cash. They're subject to the same rules. They're subject to the same regulations. But to hold them accountable to those rules and regulations is just not, I guess, ideal. So do you think that the Secretary of State role is more in the service of businesses in Nevada? Or, I mean, obviously, you're overseeing elections. So that's, I think, individuals vote, not businesses. But it sounds like a lot of the work is working with businesses and and that side. So are both of those kind of equally important for the job? Or you, are you more of a business person? Is that part of the reason that Secretary of State makes sense? Well, it was the original reason why I got into this race and was interested in the position because you're an administrator. You're responsible for the ability of administrating all the processes that business have to do with. Then you're a regulator, right? You're a regulator of elections. I was a regulator. I was on the Nevada Athletic Commission. And your job on that commission is to be a regulator, to make sure the rules are being followed, people understand the rules, and then enforcing the rules when somebody falls outside of that mm-hmm. dynamic. And it's the same thing with the Secretary of State's office. You got to know your role. You got to know your position. You got to know your boundaries, but also to be creative and figuring out what can we do better to make it stronger and more efficient. And so, yeah, it's, you know, when I was chair of the athletic commission, I had to make very hard decisions, but I wasn't making them for the benefit of one fighter or the other, or one promoter or the other. My job was to make sure that Nevada was doing its job and that we were being the leaders in the country within that industry. Gotcha. So on the flip side, obviously, I'm not interviewing your opponent right now, but can you tell me a little bit about your opponent in this race and your perception of how he sees this role and what you think the goals of your opponent are that are different than yours? Well, I think he's getting into this race for a much different reason. He's been influenced by a group of folks that think Nevada can help impact or determine an election without they have preconceived notions about what an election should be they want a certain outcome and they're going to drive forward until they get that outcome even though it goes against what majority of nevadans want they want to influence outcomes and that's to start with that perspective is wrong Hmm. you shouldn't ever start a race or an election with what you want the outcome to be that's not your role you're there to implement it so that the majority of nevadans are determining the outcome or the future. Can you be a little more specific about what you think that they're trying to do? You obviously said influence outcomes. You well, it starts pre- with yeah. voter access, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, Nevada leads, I think, is a model state throughout the country for voter access. We make it very accessible. I think Nevada, if you look at our demographics, you look at our stats, we are a working state. We're also a 24-7 economy. And you have people that are working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and to think that voting can occur on a single day in November is no longer reality. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back to that day, you're going to eliminate a lot of Nevadans from having a voice about what we are and who we're going to be. You know, mail ballots make it very accessible for people who are working triple jobs. You know, you look at our teachers. Sometimes our teachers are working during the day to teach a class and they're taking on second jobs. To ask them to go vote on a single day is kind of irresponsible of us. Our early voting, which starts on October 22nd is critical to folks. 10 days of an opportunity to vote when it's convenient to you is going to get the greatest engagement. And when you engage as many voters as possible, you're truly going to be the community you want to be because everybody's making that decision together rather than a select few making that decision for you. So voter access is critical. 
They want to limit that voter access because they know that if they limit voter access, they are going to have the opportunity to dictate to everybody else of what they see Nevada to be. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to the criticisms or the suggestions that voter you, we call it voter access. They call it voter security or, you know, election integrity and kind of these code words mm -hmm. that really what they're going for, like you said, is reduced turnout and, you know, more access for their voters than our voters, that kind of thing. So how do you respond to people who have the idea that more restrictive voting makes our elections safer or better or more accurate because there are a lot of voters who are listening to the other side and they say oh yeah we do have all of these problems with too much access or it's too easy to vote or they're fraudulent votes those kind of things so how do you talk to those people who come into this conversation with a preconceived idea that voter access is bad and you're coming here saying we want more voter access so they hear that and they're saying oh this guy's trying to do the opposite of what i want it's how do you, about how do you transparency talk right yeah. the more data you can have about what people want so you're a business you have a customer base. The more you can engage and pull your customers, the better the product you're going to be able to offer. It's no different in government. If government knows what the majority of people want, they're going to be able to be better at servicing that community. If you limit the number of people that are participating and exercising their voice, you're going to have a limited view of what the entire community wants. And when you're making critical decisions about infrastructure, about education, about health care, about security and police – and you're only doing it with a small sector of input, you're going to be making the wrong decisions that aren't the priority of everybody else. And then everybody's going to get extremely upset. So it goes exactly the opposite way of what my opponent is trying to do. Mm -hmm. I think also after the fact, like hypothetically, if your opponent wins, I think about the, the 2020 election and the, the infamous call to Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, <laughs> where, you know, Trump loses Georgia and then calls the secretary of state of yes. that state and says, I need you to just find these votes. 11,000 votes. 11,000 votes. Just make it happen. Yes. And my fear, which I think is probably a pretty reasonable one, is let's say your opponent wins. And then in 2024, Trump loses the state of Nevada by 10,000. Well, he's already said 000. Trump is not going to lose. He stood on stage next to him and said, if I'm elected secretary of state, this individual will be the president in 24. And for him to stand there and unequivocally make that statement predetermined before any vote occurs is so detrimental to our democracy. Yeah. Because you just limited the opportunity for somebody to make, express their voice and their opinion. Mm -hmm. So if that happens, let's say Trump calls him and says, hey, find me 10,000 votes. He's seems like he's going to say, sure, you got it. I'll find him. He's for already you. been biased and he's exposed his bias, right? Yeah. I like to say if we were in the court of law and we were trying a case and the jury is the voters, the judge is the constitution, and my opponent was presenting the facts that he's presenting, that he claims to be facts, he would be held in contempt. It's crazy to me yeah. that this is even happening in our community, in our society mm -hmm. today. What kind of guardrails do we have mm -hmm. in that kind of situation here in Nevada? So I know the Secretary of State does not just get to say, oh, you're the winner, you're not the winner. So if theoretically something like that happens, you're familiar with state law and how elections work. Can you just tell a little bit about what kind of guardrails or protections we have yeah. for like straight up vote theft here in Reno? I like to say that if my opponent is elected, it's a stimulus package for attorneys, especially civil rights and election lawyers, right? Because if he wins, there's just going to be constant legal challenges here. And which would be for the benefit of those of us that believe in an open election. The guardrails are the counties actually execute elections. And so I think Washoe and Clark together 
run very good elections. They will continue to run those elections. The question becomes, if there is a situation where a regulation or statute's not being followed, whether or not the Secretary of State determines to enforce it or just ignore it. And my fear is that he would, one, eliminate regulations that exist to protect voters, or that he would choose not to enforce those regulations and hold people accountable for bad acts. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you would have the challenge of having to enforce regulations against some of the more rural counties that Absolutely. are not doing elections the way they should be? What would yeah. that look like? Well, also, too, I think it's what, like Nye County, for example, one is to paper and hand county. And that required new regulations from the Secretary of State's office. So the Secretary proposed those regulations. They were approved. And then Nye County looked at those regulations and said, oh, man, if we have to follow this, it doesn't make paper ballots in hand counting worth the effort. They're going to do a dual system. They're going to use the original machines, which actually have a paper copy ballot with them. Then they're going to do the paper ballots in the hand counting as kind of an audit on the machines, which I think if you think about margin of error, it's more likely to occur on the paper ballots in the hand county than it is on the machines. The machines are pretty well proven mm -hmm. to be successful and secure. And Barbara Sagaski has proven that these the system is secure. It works. Every instance of fraud that's been presented to her, she's investigated. Yes, there was an instance of fraud in Southern Nevada, but that was an intentional act by somebody who's screaming the loudest about voter fraud, which I find it's kind of irony in the whole thing if you think about it. Most of the instances of voter double voting is usually an individual of not a sound mind, you know, somebody with dementia who forgets that they actually voted by mail and then shows up again to vote in person. So it's you got to go back to what the intent is. Was that person's intent to cheat the system or was somebody suffering from a medical condition that took away the actual intent of breaking the law. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's there's been no actual significant cases of any kind of voter fraud. No. Really. Like every time they come up, it's always this one person, this couple people. But when we're talking about overall election results, nowhere in the country have we ever seen anywhere that there's actual, you know, any kind of big conspiratorial switching of large number of votes or tons of people double voting or any of the, None of that happens, right? No. Yeah. There's check and balances everywhere too. You know, it's like on the athletic commission, we had checks and balances on a lot of what we did. You know, the certain judge you pick, a certain referee you pick, there's checks and balances on the entire process. And because we're such a heavy gaming industry state, that gaming numbers determine predictability sometimes or show an irregularity. And as soon as that irregularity flags, the FBI is involved and they're checking to see what caused that irregularity. It's no different in elections. And look, it's the responsibility of any executive within any organizations to constantly evaluate its processes, its systems, its security, and making sure they are the best. You have that responsibility to make sure you're doing what you need to do to continue always be the best. Well, let's talk a little bit about the campaign, because obviously sure. that's the very important thing that's coming up. And one of the things I always kind of wonder about with campaigns is this persuasion model versus turnout model. And I know that Democrats traditionally are just like, turn out the base, turn out the base, just get our voters to get to the polls. But I think that there are a lot of people in Nevada who, I don't know if they're persuadable or not, but is part of the goal or should part of the goal be talking to people who really do believe untrue things about elections and winning them over? Or is it all just about turning out your own voters who are already registered Democrats and kind of what approach are you taking? Mm -hmm. Because it is, you know, all of the races in Nevada are pretty close. So it seems like every vote should count. How are you thinking about where you invest your time or energy to make sure that you win? One is motivating the base, right? Those that are most likely to vote for you, they're a target. 
And then it's also creeping into the nonpartisan vote to say if somebody's undecided, how are we going to persuade them or educate them about me and my opponent? And I think if you see some of our ads, we made a very strategic decision the way we launched those ads, right? It's not me making accusations about my opponent, but my opponent in his own words stating what he believes and then stating what my belief is and letting people see the two contrasts mm-hmm. and then determine what they want in an elected official or secretary of state. And it's not me making accusations, right? Because that doesn't go anywhere. Right now, the level of trust is pretty low amongst each other. And so we have to get people to see a primary source. Mm -hmm. And my opponent speaking in his own words is that primary source to say whether or not an individual voter agrees with him. And nonpartisans are a big target of this race, especially if we can persuade them that, hey, truth, honesty, integrity matter. And if you want somebody who's going to be honest with you, I know this is going to be an extremely hard position because I have a D after my name, which is makes a person of an R skeptical of me. But I'm also going to have to make very hard decisions that are going to make D's very upset at some point. So in reality, this is kind of not a win-win situation for anybody. But it goes back to my days on the athletic commission. You have to make hard decisions for the benefit of the long term. To make a decision that will make you better in the short term is the wrong decision to make. You always got to be thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. How do you think we can build more trust in our elections when we have a lot of media that is like fundamentally reliant on the idea of elections not being reliable? That is what's driving, I think, the right wing in this country. So how do you develop longer term, more consistent trust, not just in you as a secretary of state, but in our elections in general? Like, Where do you start with fixing the trust issue? Comes with accountability and transparency. You got to be transparent. You got to be accountable, and you just got to be open. You got to be honest. And sometimes it's not talking; it's listening and trying to get to the source of why somebody has an opinion that they have. It's not going to be a first conversation. It's not going to be a second conversation. It's continually coming to the table and trying to figure out a solution. Mm-hmm. Is part of this like national versus local state kind of politics the issue? Because I think that everything in our politics has become so nationalized. Everyone's watching national cable news, all of the narratives about what's happening in well, our elections. It's one are individual, really, who started this national movement, right? Which then has created the buzz around everybody talking about it. And Nevada being a battleground state is a huge, you know, significance in all of this. In 24, we are going to determine as a state who the president of the United States is. And that power is pretty significant. And when you think about that influence, people are going to invest heavily here to sell their idea or their concept, whether or not it's bad or good. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who see that this is an opportunity to sway an election are going to be here investing. Those people that believe in democracy are going to be here investing in the right person to lead us forward. Mm-hmm. So Nevada has a very high profile. We're a small state, but we're mighty. Like We have a significant say in what our country is and what it's going to be in the future. Do you think that we can have an impact on kind of the national conversation because we have that role? I think so. I think what it is, it's not going to happen immediately. But as we continue to have election cycles and we continue to disprove the misinformation out there, we will become a stronger country. Nevada has more registered nonpartisans than Democrats or Republicans. So we're a pretty independent minded state, I would say is a Absolutely. good way to describe We're very libertarian, us. right? We want to do, we want to live the life we want to live. We want the freedoms that we have. And we want to protect our fundamental rights. Mm-hmm. Of those nonpartisan voters, 
like you mentioned, we're a pretty libertarian leaning state, but I think a lot of, you know, libertarians align more with Republicans than Democrats, but we do have a lot of nonpartisans. So generally of the nonpartisans in Nevada, what do you think drives them or motivates them around who they're going to vote for? Obviously, they're not interested in being committed to either of the parties. Do you think they're persuadable? Do you think they are, you know, aligned with one party, but just don't want to sign up with them kind of thing? What's your thought on the nonpartisans in Nevada? I think they're frustrated, right? They had a home at one time. That home they had is different now. I think both sides of the party have gone to extremes. I think some are more detrimental than others. But I think those extremes have made them uncomfortable because I think most people are pragmatic Mm -hmm. and they want somebody who's going to lead from the middle and listen and then determine what's in the best interest of the whole and not the best interest of a select few. Gotcha. And for the people who are registered Democrats, like you said, both parties have kind of moved in different directions a little bit sometimes. And I don't know if it's as much of an issue right now as it was maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, I remember a lot of conversation about the state party in Nevada and some divisions among different (laughs) wings in the party. How is that affecting the campaign? Is it affecting the campaign? What does it look like within the Democratic Party right now? And how is that affecting the campaigns, yours and the other statewide campaigns? The Democrats have realized what the long-term goal is and have been able to put our differences aside because we want to win, right? They know what it takes to win. And if we're divided, we're not going to get to the win. And this is a critical race. We are the underdogs, which we should be because people are struggling right now and we need to recognize why they're struggling. But we also need to provide a vision and a plan to get out of where we are. And I think Democrats have come together and said, okay, the priority is to win. Let's win first and then we can start talking about the solutions in that approach. So I'm proud of what they've done. I'm proud we've been able to set aside our differences because we are the underdogs. And if we were divided, we wouldn't have a, a hope at all. Mm. One of the other things that's on the ballot this year is question three, which is the ranked choice and open primary ballot initiative. I am a strong supporter of ranked choice voting, open primaries. I think that comes to the access issue. We were talking about people yeah. having access to vote. And right. right now, the the biggest political group, the nonpartisans, they basically just don't get to participate in the primaries. They got to wait for the general and then they got to pick between the Democrat or the Republican. That's basically all they get. So I'm generally in favor of the open primaries for that reason. And also the ranked choice I like because it lets people feel that their vote matters, even if their first choice doesn't win. I, I think the trust in elections and people being motivated to vote because they think their vote matters is really important. So I'm a big supporter of it. But I know that basically everyone in the statewide party, Sisolak, Cortez Masto, <laughs> they're all they're all saying no on three. And I think that I understand I there, 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 there is a risk a little bit right. of, you know, when you open the doors to more people participating in, you do risk losing some power. And Democrats have a significant amount of power right now, at least in the state. So can you talk a little bit about question three and how it overlaps with the secretary sure. of state role and, and just your thoughts on it? One is, I think you have two issues in that ballot question, and I think they need to be addressed individually, right? Mm -hmm. I think the fact that open primaries is one conversation discussion, and then ranked choice voting is a different conversation discussion. I think we've done such a great job as a state to build that voter access that people are still learning the processes and they're still learning the system. Oregon and Utah have been doing mail ballots for 30 years. We've done a maybe two election cycle, one real election cycle. Mm-hmm. And we have to get better at that process to build that voter confidence. Now you're throwing in a whole new recipe to the entire process. People are still unsure about mail ballots. We got to get people confident in that process and that system. And then we can start adding to it. But to do it all at once 
is just going to make people even more nervous. And that's what scares me as a regulator, right? Is how am I going to build that voter confidence in the process and system if it keeps changing constantly? But I understand the reason why people want to do it. I also think it's a solution for a problem that doesn't really exist at the moment because of the voter access law that we have passed the last two legislative cycles. Let's get those in a strong position. Let's get our processes built. We could do a much better job of counting mail ballots. Oregon does a great job of doing it and get that process so well done. Then we can start talking about how do we improve voter engagement even more. Gotcha. What else do you want people to know about this race, about yourself before they head to Look, the polls? It's fascinating. Last week, we were with the Sagebrush at the Nevada campus. And the reporter said, why are you talking to me? And I said, I'm talking to you because every race is within the margin of error, which means a statistical tie. A small segment of Reno citizens can determine the outcome of this race. And if the students decide to get motivated and they vote, they could determine the winner of all of our constitutional offices, and they can take credit for that. And that's power. And then students can start to see the Nevada that they want to see instead of having to wait till they feel like they're secure in a position and a family and a job. They can do it now, and they can say, these are the priorities that students have in Nevada. Now we want you to implement them because we got you into office. So I think there's a significant power out there right now among voters, especially small groups of voters that can really make the determination of who our future is, especially our native tribes too. Like this last election cycle, because of the voter access we have, native communities have increased participation by 25%. And then again, they can determine who the winner is throughout these state elections. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Normally, this is a hyper-local podcast, but I did want to make sure, since it is such an important election and such an important role in the election, I'm my real fear is definitely the, you know, the Raffensperger call that gets a yes instead of a no. That's a terrifying prospect for me. So it, I wanted to make sure to include this for, for listeners as well. So thanks for taking the time to chat a little bit about what Secretary of State does and what your campaign looks like and, and why it's also important. I really appreciate you taking the time, Cisco. Thank you for having me, Connor. This is an honor. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for checking out this bonus episode with my guest, Cisco Aguilar. Early voting is open now. If you have not voted yet, it's probably because it just started today. But there are, I think, two weeks of early voting before actual election day. So find the polling place near you, research your candidates, go out and vote. It is very, very important. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Cisco, for coming on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned anything from it, do me a favor and spread the word. That is very important. Word of mouth means everything for a project like this. And when it comes to our elections, you probably should be having conversations about who you're voting for, why you're voting as you participate in our democracy. That's all I've got for you this week. See you with a normal episode on Tuesday. (laughs) 